Welcome to Rocking Our Prize. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. Now, today's episode is a little different, and I hope you forgive me. It's on the new Barbie film. A friend asked me to share a review. Well, it portrays the rise and fall of patriarchy. Since the global history of gender is literally my area of expertise, I thought I might share an assessment of its empirical accuracy. Now, if you've watched it and want to reflect on real-world parallels, you might enjoy this review. But if you just want to enjoy the film, or you're yet to see it, please do not listen. Turn me off immediately. So this is your warning. There will be lots of spoilers. Please stop now. Please stop now. Are you with me? I don't want to destroy it. I don't want to be a terrible person. Okay. So first of all, let me discuss what Barbie gets right. So Barbie is set in an economic and political matriarchy. Women own their own homes, make the laws of the land, and are culturally celebrated for their intellectual prowess. Parliaments and roads are made by women. This breeds female confidence and ambition. Women are not anxious or insecure, nor do they feel jealous of other women who rise up. Coordinated dance parties reinforce female friendships and solidarity. Since men's generosity is practically irrelevant, she has no need for male approval. Barbie is assured and assertive. He's just Ken. Now, when Ken and Barbie visit the real world, he's delighted to see himself represented at the top, while she's really uncomfortable enduring male lecturing. Intersectionality is also addressed by writer and director Greta Gerwig. While Ken idealizes patriarchy, his qualifications prevent him, uh, his lack of qualifications prevents him from gaining status in the real world. So he applies for three different jobs but is repeatedly rebuffed and rejected. His skills are only beach, which is to stand on the sand. Inspired by real-world patriarchy, yet lacking the credentials for upward mobility, Ken then returns to Barbie land and overthrows matriarchy, as he would. He chucks out Barbie's beloved wardrobe, seizes her property, and institutionalises male dominance. This is a little bit like Why Nations Fail, with Ajamoglu's more recent emphasis on vision. Cultural transformation also plays a role. Women are brainwashed to enjoy servitude, and all the artwork extols men's virtues. Men call the shots, expect deference, and women are perfectly happy to kowtow. Now, these economic, political, and cultural mechanisms are all very consistent with the available evidence. The female solidarity portrayed in Barbie Land is reminiscent of the Gulf of Guinea in earlier times. Igbo and Bakweri women harassed men for mistreating their wives, violating market rules, or harming their crops. In 19th century Congo Brazzaville, a husband would not even, and I quote, take an egg from her chicken coop without the permission of his wife. Ashanti, Igbo, and Yoruba women had independent networks. They controlled the market, set the rules, and punished wrongdoers. Banding together, women reprimanded abusive men and traversed great distances as traders. Independently wealthy women marshaled their networks, commercial acumen, linguistic skills to thrive in commercial coastal exports. 
Now, Barbie's dance parties may sound frivolous, but this is actually a very nice example of building trust and cohesion at scale. Religious rituals, choirs and feasting are all effective mechanisms of social bonding. I myself underwent a traditional Zambian initiation ritual through which I was welcomed into a community of women. Much like Barbie Land, this was an all-night event comprising dancing, music, drinking... Uh, as well as extremely daunting physical challenges. But moving on. So when members of one group monopolize positions of prestige, they are widely regarded as deserving deference. Seeing women demonstrate their equal competence in socially valued roles, Barbies all expect gender equality. She heads to a construction site expecting to find women. And that's spot on. Uh, you, may, you may recall my previous podcast on Zambia and Cambodia, as well as Cecilia Ridgway's excellent book, Framed by Gender. Ken's ideological transformation also echoes research, research on Gulf migration. Indians who returned from Saudi Arabia were more likely to say that a man should have the final word, were more tolerant of gender-based violence, more likely to blame a woman if she gets molested compared to non-migrant peers back in Kerala. And just like ex-coal workers in West Virginia now cheering for Trump, Ken's inability to get ahead in the real world propels him to authoritarian overthrow. Under Ken's patriarchy, women bring men beers and fawn at their feet. This is very consistent with new research showing that women spend more time on housework in countries with very patriarchal ideologies. Uh, here I also recommend Deepa Narayan's book Chop on how Indian girls are socialised to stay quiet and obey. And even if women are oppressed, they may still be perfectly happy. As Marianne Bertrand documents, there is no evidence of lower relative female well-being in high sexism countries. So the Barbies are happy under Kin's patriarchy. Again, that's empirically valid. Okay, so what does Barbie get wrong? Well, Barbie overthrows patriarchy through awareness raising, inciting male jealousy, and then taking back both economic and political control. America Ferrara reverses patriarchal brainwashing by telling the Barbies all about sexist unfairness. Hearing her speech, they snap out of it. This is very fitting for two reasons. Ferrara's parents are Honduran, so it's not white saviour Barbie. This actually resonates with the real world where the largest feminist protests are in Latin America. Secondly, gender sensitization is often presumed to be effective. It's incorporated into donor-funded programs as the default element on gender. But is gender sensitization effective? No, especially not if delivered in Ferreira's preachy style. The brainwashed Barbies were given no opportunity to critically reflect on their own experiences, nor realise wider support for gender equality. So even if they did become privately critical, they might still anticipate disapproval and then self-censure. How do I know that? Well, I actually spent a year studying the effectiveness of gender sensitization. Um, and if you're interested in that, the links are all in the substack. So massive feminist rallies are far more effective, signalling widespread support. Next question, can triggering sexual jealousy actually destroy the brotherhood? So the Barbies ignite men's sexual jealousy, cause the men to fight against each other and then reclaim their homes. In actually existing patriarchies, this would never work. Possessive men would just beat the Barbies to a pulp. A woman is at, woman is at highest risk of violence from a man she has jilted. 
Trends would then leverage their institutional dominance to exonerate all criminality. In both Russia and China, both governed by men, uh, wife-beating is not even a criminal offense. Greta Gerwig's vision of patriarchy is far too benign. It underestimates violent patriarchal backlash. In Midyat, Turkey, a young Kurdish woman told me that her cousin eloped with a man. She was then killed by her brother, who was tasked to restore family honour. If men feel entitled to deference, they may react aggressively to insufficient subservience. A young hijabi-wearing woman in Istanbul refused her husband's request to make a cup of tea. So, I was told, that he thrashed her with his fists. Bloodied and bruised, she ran to her sister's house, but ultimately returned to him. Patriarchy is extremely resilient. While you may well enjoy Barbie as a bit of fun, the road to gender equality is a lot more difficult. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Dr. Alice Evans.